teachers in your life? Who were your first hip hop teachers in terms of that? <laughs> you know what? That's a great, great question. I can tell you for a fact, the first time I heard Grandmaster Flash the Furious Fox, the message. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people need to understand, who don't understand hip hop history or culture, the message for us was what Bob Dylan did in the 60s. It was, mo it was Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind, it was mm. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Mm. It, was, it was Bob Marley, everything, because Bob right. Marley was just everything. You know, that's what the message was for us. I mean, broken glass everywhere. everywhere. People pissing in the station, though they just that's don't care. Can't take the smell, can't take the noise, got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice. They were speaking to me. Wow. They were speaking to working class kids, Absolutely. poor kids. Well, like, yo, yeah. it, it was it was profound, man, um, profound. It was Welcome to the Whole Student Podcast with Cal Bellavent. Whole Student refers to the magical moment when a student is fully seen, heard, and known. This is the spark of a relationship between student and teacher, where the former is catalyzed on a journey beyond what they thought possible, and the latter is a proud advisor cheering from the sidelines. Whole Student Podcast asks the guests to reflect back to their moment, the person who became a transformative teacher in their lives and on the journey they were set upon. Our guest today is Kevin Powell. Kevin is one of the most acclaimed political, cultural, literary, and hip-hop voices in America today. An author, journalist, activist, speaker, scholar, commentator, filmmaker, and entrepreneur, he has authored more than a dozen books, I believe 15 or 16. 16. 16. We'll talk about his latest today as well. Uh, and he has penned articles for news organizations such as Esquire, Ebony, The Washington Post, Rolling Stone, ESPN, Vibe, and more. A pop culture curator, philanthropist, and former congressional candidate, Kevin's work is incredibly broad. A modern Renaissance human being. At his core, as he has told our students, he's a reader, a learner, and a traveler. It is my pleasure to welcome you. The whole student podcast. No, it's my honor to be here. Thank Appreciate you, so much. you brother. Yeah. I, I, I love the school. Thank you. Thank yeah. you all so much for having me. It's been a beautiful visit here in oh. this residency. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start you off with the first question I ask every guest. Yes, sir. Take us back to the student you are. What kind of words would you use to describe yourself as a student? <laughs> Woo. Well, you know, I can't talk about myself without talking about my mother, uh, mm. single mom. She was yeah. the first teacher and, and leader. Uh, and motivator that I ever met. And uh, she actually taught me first. I was three years old, wow. uh, two, three years old, and she was teaching me words. She was wow. teaching me a whole bunch of stuff. She planted the seed, uh, the love of learning that I've had ever since. And I didn't know until much later that my mother had only gone to the eighth grade, but wow. she dumped into me everything that she knew. And um, um, and it's incredible. Um, there's no 16 books without my mother. Uh, she's the first person. She took me to the library when I was eight years old. That's how I fell in love with books and reading. And, wow. and within three years, going to the library back and forth, uh, I said, I want to be a writer. You know, I didn't know how it was possible. Uh, I didn't know that black writers existed, writers of color existed, wow, unfortunately. Wow, wow, wow. But my mother, my mother, my mother, my mother, she was an advocate. She showed up at school. Uh, the only time I ever missed school, K through 12, is when I got into a fight and mm. got suspended. Otherwise, I never missed school. And I was pretty much an A student, K through 12. Wow. Because she did not tolerate bad grades. There was no excuse for bad grades. Like, you're supposed to get A's. And wow. Yeah, so she pushed me. And 
that has been instilled in me. And my mother, and I have to acknowledge Mrs. Lillian Williams, may she rest in peace. My mother's still alive. Uh, I just wrote a poetry book called Grocery Shop with my mother that's dedicated yes, to my mother. Yes. But my 12th grade English teacher, Mrs. Lillian Williams, who passed a few years back, um, man, um, older black woman, very stylish, very, mm. very, um, very proper. She would say things like, you know, the dictionary is humankind's best friend. We were like, she's weird, <laughs> y'all, you know what I'm saying? But she was saying we had to build up vocabulary. Right. And Mrs. Williams did two things for me that, that really, um, as a teacher, I had never experienced. One, uh, I'm an af- I'm, a, I'm a runner. I'm actually getting ready to start training mm. for my third New York City Marathon this year. I was a cross country uh, yeah. track runner in high yeah. school. I got injured in our state cross country meet when I was in high school and the SATs were a few days later. Mrs. Williams came to my house because my mom and I, we didn't have a car, we were too poor. I couldn't walk, I was like on a crutch, on crutches. She literally drove me to take my SAT. She said, you're going to go to college. And the other thing Mrs. Williams did for me, uh, she noticed that I could write, you know, because I was writing like short stories in high school, fiction and stuff like that. I loved Edgar Allan Poe. I actually was one of those kids who loved Shakespeare. I was like running through the hallways like, quoting Hamlet, all that kind of stuff. And I still didn't know I could be a writer, but Mrs. Williams said, you know, you should enter an essay contest. Yeah. And I did. The title, the theme was A Strong Nation Needs Strong Schools. And I won the, it was a citywide contest and I won the high school division. Wow. And I got a, a $100 savings bond. And I was like, I do not know what a savings bond is. Can I get some cash? Wow, <laughs> wow, 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 But my, it was the first time I ever got published as a 17 year old. Mm. My picture ended up in the newspaper. And it's the first time I got in the, in the newspaper for something that was not sports related. Wow. You know what I mean? And I'll tell you, Mrs. Williams, when I got to college, I went to Rutgers um, yeah. University, New Jersey. I didn't know until years later that she was clipping everything that I wrote. Stop it. And so, you know, um, man, she followed me to, you know, when I ended up being at Quincy Jones's Vibe Magazine, she was clipping those articles. I'm wow. writing, at this stage, I'm writing cover stories in Tupac and yeah. Snoop and all kinds of iconic figures in hip hop. Mrs. Williams, you know, so my mother, Mrs. Williams, mother gave me the level of learning and, and, and to be excellent. Don't sell for yeah. mediocrity. And Mrs. Williams, you actually are a writer. You need to pursue this thing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we've been doing the podcast second season. Mm. I usually sit back in the chair. Wow. You have me at the edge of the seat. Oh, my gosh. And the reason you have me at the edge is in that time, nobody started off with their mom. Oh, wow. Everyone's went to their classroom teacher. Mm. Mm. You shouted out mom. Yeah. That mom, despite only having an eighth grade education, saw you as a learner. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a very specific way for a child to be seen by their parent. Yeah. And planted the seed that certainly Mrs. Williams started to, yeah. you know, let the seed grow, yeah. take root. Um, were there other teachers like Mrs. Williams for you in your yeah. journey? You know, it's an interesting question. I mean, I guess I had... Um, uh, all my teachers were either black women or white women, you know, okay. black sisters or white sisters. And yeah. I realized in retrospect what they were doing, like my love of music, like mm. I'm a lifelong hip hop head. Yeah. Let's, let's just get that out the way. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to hip hop at 50. All right, you know right, what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. But as a kid, I'm listening to Led Zeppelin. I'm listening to Pink Floyd. Mm. I'm listening to the soundtrack to the uh, to, to the, the musical West Side Story. Right. You know, um, I'm listening to stuff. I now realize it was Linda Ronstadt. It was the Beatles. Yes, it was the yes. Birds. Yes. I'm listening to. I realized I was listening to Stevie Wonder. It's because of the teachers I had because there was a big emphasis on the arts. You know, mm. what I mean, I can't sing. Mm. I can't rhyme. I can't play an instrument, but. When I think about how I became a music journalist wow. you know, during my journey, particularly at Bob Magazine, again, for Rolling Stone, places like that, I, as a kid, I had a love of music, and it was just, I was cross-referencing stuff. So I was that kid 
listening to 50s rock and roll, doo-wop. Then I was mm. listening to 60s Motown and the British Invasion. Then I'm looking at disco and funk and all that kind of stuff. And so the teachers, um, you know, they they planted some seeds, you know. Um, and art is really important to me, you know, to mm. this day. I didn't, know, I didn't even know that I was an artist. You know, now I'm like, mm. yep, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a humanist, civil rights activist, and I'm an artist. But as a kid... I didn't know that there were, like my wife went to a performing arts high school. She's a native of California right, right, in right. San Diego. So she was like, she's an amazing singer. She played right. two instruments. She, she was at a school that was like fame, the movie, like I'm an artist. Yeah. I was like, I'm just a kid who's weird, you know, and I'm all sharing everybody that I'm, this is how I'm thinking, but I realized I was an artist as a kid. Well, yeah, Miss Williams saw it. She did. Because she's cutting out these clips. Yeah. Like it's pieces of artwork. Yeah. yeah. And she's preserving them. Yeah. Wow. Because they're testimony to your creativity yeah. and that journey. You know, it's interesting you say that. Yeah. I, I was, in the, I never understood the left brain, right brain thing. I, yeah. You know, I don't consider myself. A, um, thank you for the compliment, the introduction. Um, um, I just love to learn. Like you know, um, I'll tell you something. My mom wasn't able to help me with my schoolwork after the fifth or sixth grade. Wow. She's you know, and um, mom could do. It was math specifically, and I love math. I actually won. When I got out of high school, I won the math award and an English award. You wow. know, because I never was into the left brain, right brain thing. I was just like, I just love learning. Right. My mother could not help me with multiplications or division. Mm. You know, and I remember being angry at my mother at first. Like, how do you not know this stuff? And I, I later I was like, oh, this is as far as she had gone to school. Mm. Now, mama knows how to add and subtract because don't play with mama's money. You know what I'm saying? Mm. <laughs> mama understands how to count, and right. you know, but um, it's deep. I, um, I, I literally. And this is important for people to understand, you know, who we are in this country from all different backgrounds. You know, now we have cell phones, Androids and, and iPhones. We have the Internet. We can Google stuff. Yes. I literally, as a high schooler from ages 14 to 18, yeah. by myself as an only child, had to figure out how do you get to college? Mm. You know, how do you research what colleges are good for you? Mm. I, remember, I, I didn't come to California until I was in my 20s. Um, it was actually the year of the, of the L.A. Rebellion, you know, yeah. in the early 90s. But... I remember being fascinated by Pepperdine University, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and then I'm a sports fan, so like UCLA and, and the, oh, the yeah. legend of John Wooden, oh, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. You know, and so I would um, identify schools that I was interested in by their sports programs. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. So I ended up getting accepted to Penn State because mm. Joe Paterno back then, before all the controversy in football, Syracuse because of the basketball mm. program. Rutgers was only because it was in New Jersey, mm. and I was like, you know what, maybe I should just stay home because I didn't even think that... Um, and this is what I said to your students that since I've been here, we gotta expand our imagination. I didn't know that I could actually go somewhere beyond mm -hmm. New Jersey for an education. Yeah. You know what I mean? But um I literally willed myself into college. We had no money. Yeah. Um, I applied for stuff and what yeah. I did, uh, sir, I just um my senior year, yeah, I brought my mother um a couple of things. One, I said, Mom, here's a financial aid form that told me I should have this, yeah. just sign here by the X. Okay, mom, here's the Penn State application, here's these other applications, you can just sign here by the X. And then there was like, um, if you were a poor kid or working class kid, you know, um, you got some sort of a voucher so that yeah. your applications were free. Yeah. That's how I got to college. Right. But go back to my mom at three. My mother used to say to me, you're going to college, you're going yes. to college, you're going to college. So she had, she had, there were no books in my house except for right. the Bible. And there was nothing, uh, my mother had never been on a college campus. In fact, the only time she had ever gone to college, my cousin, her older cousin, dropped me off at Rutgers, and that's the first time she's been to a college campus. Wow. And she just said goodbye and good luck. Wow. I wish, you know, do well. 
And so, you know, I'm an example of what's possible even if you come from nothing. Yeah. Which is why I value education so much. So you're a lifelong learner. Continue yeah. to learn. Yeah. Continue to gravitate towards learning. Yeah. You get to Rutgers Prep. Was there somebody there that continued you on your journey that you felt like this person really saw me mm. as a student? Ooh, you know, she just died. Um, her name was Dr. Cheryl Wall, and mm. she was one of our great um, black literary scholars in this country mm. at Rutgers. You know, people, a lot of people credit uh, Alice Walker, the great Alice yeah, Walker, of course, yeah. with uh, rediscovering Zora Neale Hurston and her yeah, body of work. Yeah, yeah. But Cheryl Wall was also one of those folks who helped to dig up, you know, to excavate, mm. uh, um, you know, uh, Zora Neale Hurston. I took a class with Cheryl Wall called Harlem Renaissance. Man, I didn't know what the Harlem Renaissance was. That yeah. era, I was like, the Harlem what? You know what wow, I mean? Wow. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, and I know a lot of people talk about the soap, the classics, you know. I, in high school, I studied Shakespeare, I studied Keats, yeah. I studied, you know, Emily Dickinson, I studied. No Max and Hughes, no Ralph Ellison, none no. of that. I didn't know Baldwin existed. Wow. I didn't know any black writers, Latinx writers, Asian writers, wow. indigenous writers. I didn't even know that women writers existed except for. Emily Dickinson. Emily Dickinson. That was okay. it. That's right. And so Harlem Renaissance mm. blew my mind. I was like, you know, first of all, Langston Hughes, if you read a poem like, you know, uh, uh, Harlem, there's the proper title for it, but yeah. everyone knows the first lines. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry yes. like a raisin in the sun? And then I was like, wait a minute, raisin in the sun? That's the play. That's, That's the right. movie. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so my mom started to connect the yeah. dots. I was like, Sidney Poitier was in that. I didn't realize that came from Langston Hughes' poem. That's right. And then when I read um, Zora and Hurst's Their Eyes Are Watching God and how she wrote in the language of the people, mm. here I was, my mother's from South Carolina, and I was embarrassed by the Geechee Gullah yes. or the Creole or yes. the Patois that she was speaking, wow. not realizing that the way she spoke was actually beautiful poetry. Wow. And that there were writers who actually said, wait a minute, it doesn't matter if you're Mexican-American or Black-American, you know, yeah. if you're West Indian, it, your language, your indigenous language or the mixture of your yes. tongues is actually art. Your mother had the cadence of a griot. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So I, it sh that shifted for me because I get wow. to see art in a different way. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I can see myself in art now. You know what I mean? I can see my images mm. in myself. And it, it, it just, you know, it, it changed me. Um, it changed me. And I decided right in my first year of college, 18 years old, yeah. that I was going to be I was going to be a writer like Langston Hughes, right. and I was going to be an activist like Malcolm X. <laughs> fair, enough, fair enough. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So here's an interesting thing, right? You talked about this, this moment of awakening for you looking at the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. And at the same time, you're at Rutgers Prep at a time period. Rutgers year, University, I'm sorry. Rutgers University, excuse me. Right? 50, Jersey folks are sensitive yeah, about that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, 50 years later. Yeah. 50 years later, we're talking about hip-hop. You're there at a time where we're really undergoing a sort of renaissance in terms of yeah. intelligent movement. Yeah. And uh, you're experiencing it. Did you notice you were experiencing an out-of-body experience at the time? Or as you reflect back on it, you're studying the, about the Harlem Renaissance, but you're part of a different renaissance. You, 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 you know, you, you, these are great questions, yeah. by the way. Thank you. Um, I had parallel lives happening. Mm. So keep in mind, I was born and raised in Jersey City, which is literally right across the Hudson River from New York City, yeah. where African-Americans, West Indians, yes. and Latinx people, three yeah. groups, working class, poor folks, were creating something called hip hop, yeah. right? And so I naturally got the influence of that. And so as a kid, you know, first of all, we were already rhyming in our communities. It's just like, if you listen to yeah, kids, the dozens, the dozens exactly. Yes. 
You know what I mean? And, you know, I didn't realize until years later, okay, the way Muhammad Ali was speaking was in rhymes. Yeah. When little black girls are jumping Dutch, little black and Latinx girls are doing double yes. dutch, they're speaking in rhymes. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know... H-Rap Brown. H-Rap, yeah. Cap Calloway. Yeah. Gil Scott. All of that is there. I, I didn't know them, but what I did know that there was local crews and block parties happening in New York City in North Jersey, and we would go to church in New York City right. in the 70s, and man, let me tell you, one of the most exciting things for me as a kid was to be on a subway train and see all the graffiti yeah. on the trains, you feel what I'm saying? Yeah. And these big bubble letters, and it's like, it was mad colorful, and you're like, why, well, how did this happen? I didn't even and, know that dude. Let me ask a question, would you, would you talk about, this is important, yeah. right? Would you talk about the burners as, you'd say, it's like a piece of art? Like, did you all see that? And, if, and you know, would that be, I had magic markers. Right. I was, we all tagged. Yes. My, you know, let's put it this way: as I've been, people have been asking me here. Okay, how Kevin? How do you pay for your book? And, you know, I said my my Venmo is Kepo One, K E P O One. What I didn't say is that was my graffiti name since I was a child. That's my yeah, tag. Yeah, yeah. That's what, I've had that for forty, almost forty years. That's wow. my my hip my tag, my hip hop yeah. name. And I danced. I used to pop and lock. That's and right. I break dance, yeah. man. And I, man, the first show I ever went to as a kid, teenager, mm. Dougie Fresh and, and Slick Rick, when he was still MC Ricky Ooh. D, you know what I'm saying? Wow. In New York City, and Lottie Dottie was the song that just came out, a hip hop wow. classic. So I was in the middle of all of that stuff, man. But as you a, didn't know it at the time that that was a rap song. We didn't even call it hip hop. I don't even know when it started to be calling hip hop. We just started, I mean, you listen to rappers like, because obviously, yes. I mean, first of all, I was a disco kid, you know, because I was yeah. like, man. I wanted to, don't laugh at me, I wanted to be John Travolta. Yeah. I wanted a white suit and a black shirt. Yeah. I wanted to do this. I wanted to dance. I wanted to have my solo. I wanted to have my gold chains like he did. Yeah. And, you know, the, they were big. The Bee Gees were big. Donald yeah. Summer was big, you know. And so disco was huge. But then all of a sudden, we heard people rapping. That's right. Talking over disco records. That's You're right. like, yo, they're talking. That's right. Hip hop. I was like, yo, who are these cats? Sugar Hill Gang. That's right. You know. And so for me, that record just, um, I still have my original 45 nice. of Rapper's Delight. Yeah. And, you know, right after that immediate succession was like, here's Curtis Blow, his Grandmaster yeah. Flash, The Furious Five. Right. You know, so we were, um, it was the first thing that we created, uh, and I'm saying post-Civil Rights Generation people, uh -huh. you know, Civil Rights Era people, that was ours, because Motown was my mother's thing. That's right. Stax Records was my mother's That's thing. Right. You know, I mean, my mother would tell me how much she loved the, the, the Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. That's her thing. Okay. You know what I mean? But this was our first thing. And people need to understand, you know, the same poor people yeah. that Dr. King told us not to forget yeah. are the same people who created hip-hop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Again, African-American, Palestinian, right. Latinx. In New York City, because I mean, half the founding fathers and mothers were from the Caribbean, from the West Indies, right. all over right. the Caribbean. Right. And so you don't get the, the the outdoor block parties without Cool Herc coming from Jamaica, That's right. That's right. big sound systems as he's doing in Jamaica, in the That's West right. Indies. That's right. You know, but then Herc was listening to James Brown records, an African American from Georgia. And so in a lot of ways, hip hop was like Malcolm X's parents. Malcolm X's mom was from Grenada in the West Indies. Right. Doc, Malcolm X's father was from Georgia in, 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 in America. An interesting piece that's a through line for any renaissance is innovation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you certainly see innovation there. Call yourself a disco kid. Yeah. If, if they had lettuce in all the clubs, yeah. right, maybe we would not have seen the moment of innovation that required the creation of hip hop in the first place. Your, to your point, hip hop is two simple definitions to me. Making something out of nothing. Yes. And winning on your own terms. Mm. A microphone, yes. two turntables with some vinyl records, 
Dropping the needle. Dropping the needle. We would dance on cardboard linoleum. Yeah. And then spray paint or magic markers. Those four elements. Yeah. The DJ, MC, graffiti writer, graffiti artist, and dancing. Mm-hmm. Hip-hop is a multi-billion dollar global phenomenon. Yeah. Man, I have been blown away by... I get calls from people from all over the world yeah. asking, you know, to interview me about hip-hop mm-hmm. before this anniversary. But I'm like, we created this. And the innovation, the technology... Hip-hop was the first technology-driven art form that young black and brown kids created. Because before that, we had instruments. Yeah. Part of the reason why we had to go to the turntables is because music programs, art programs yeah. in New York City were cut yeah. in the 70s yeah. in that area. Yeah. 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 And so, and who doesn't want music? So, early 80s, Wendy Records. Uh, oh my gosh. Right? right? Yeah. Releases, a, releases a record with Malcolm X's speeches yeah. over beats. Yeah. Right? So there's a moment in time where we go from just rhyming about the party, keep the party going, to infusing knowledge yeah. into the record. Yeah. Now we've been talking about hosting podcasts, the teachers in your life. Who were your first hip hop teachers in terms of that? <laughs> you know what? That's a great, great question. Yeah. I can tell you for a fact, the first time I heard Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, the message. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people need to understand, who don't understand hip-hop, history, or culture, the message for us was what Bob Dylan did in the 60s. It was mo- it was Bob Dylan's Blown in the Wind. It was mm. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Mm. It, was Bo- it was Bob Marley, everything, because right. Bob right. Marley was just everything. You know, that's what the message was for us. I mean, broken glass everywhere. everywhere. People pissing in the station, though they just that's don't care. care. Can't take the smell, can't take the noise, got no money to move out. I guess I got no choice. They were speaking to me. Wow. They were speaking to working-class kids, Absolutely. poor kids. Well, like yo, yeah. It it was it was profound, man. Um, profound. It was jarring. It was chilling. You know, we're like. I mean, they. Yes. Hip hop was the first thing that spoke to me directly. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I remember Marvin Gaye's song. I wish. I'm not Marvin Gaye. Stevie Wonder's song. I wish as a kid from Songs in the Keys of Life. You know, because I was like, you know, yeah, I can relate to that. But it was the boom back. Of yeah. hip hop, yeah, and and how they delivered it that just blew my mind. So they they taught me, and they also I you know it's crazy I'm, I I never thought about it like this because I didn't know I was a writer when that song came out. Yeah. I was wanting to be a writer, yeah. But they gave me permission to use my voice and to tell my story Absolutely. about where I came from. So I'm gonna mess with your mind right now. Okay, Are you ready about ready for this? Yeah. So you get the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. The Harlem Renaissance. You have you have artists. You have artistry. You have what's happening in the clubs. You have musical innovation, yeah. beautiful things happening in jazz, etc. And you have folks like Langston Hughes who are writing yeah. and touching on it. Yeah. Right? Do you see yourself in the same vein? Because you're writing about hip-hop. You're writing about the renaissance. You're writing about innovation. You're doing all these things, right? And maybe, you know, 50-year anniversary. Yeah. Right? Contextualize it. Yeah. Right? I do. You know... I didn't, but I do. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. And I'm glad we're here in California so I can say this. When Kenny Lamar put out his album last year, yeah. um, I made it a point to write a 3,000-word essay about this album and about Kendrick Lamar because it's, 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 it's such a... Um, I mean, it's the one of the most honest pieces of art I've ever heard. Wow. You know, and, you know, it took me back to the 80s and the early 90s. I didn't want to be a music journalist. I never said I wanted to be a music journalist. I was clear as a hip hop head. I was always in the clubs. I was man. I was partying. <laughs> I partied on campus. I partied off campus. We, you okay. know, Rutgers is close enough to New York by train or bus. We was in New York every chance we got to okay. a club. 
but I was always I was absorbing. Man, I knew all Run DMC stuff. I yes. knew all the Public yes. Enemy stuff, yeah. KRS and Boogie Down Productions, all of it, man. And I wanted to be a writer because I wanted to do what Langston and and Zora and didn't harm yes, yes. which was you know see the world through my lens. Yes. I remember reading some of the early pieces on hip hop. They trashed hip hop. Yes. You know, yes. it's a fast like a last. They're a bunch of animals, monsters. They it's didn't not, understand. It's not music. It's, it's not, not music. It's not that. Whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. And so Harry Allen, who is name checked on Public Enemy's uh, "Don't Believe the Hype," mm-hmm. he's considered the godfather of hip hop journalism. Right? He wrote for the Village Voice. He wrote all, and he was just writing about hip hop. I was like, damn it, you could write about hip hop. I still didn't think I could do it. Harry Allen called me one day. And he said, Kev, do you write about hip-hop? Man, by that point, I just passed my college years, early 90s, and I was freelancing, and I ain't had no money. I did not have any money, and I ain't had no money. Let's yeah, just say it both ways. And listen, I, I had a part-time job at the New School University. Yeah, I had yeah. a part-time job at New York University, yeah. and I was freelancing. Man, I lied. I said, yeah, I write about hip-hop. What's up? He said, well... And this, you'll appreciate this as someone from the Bay Area. San Francisco Weekly yeah. was looking for someone to write about a rapper from the East Coast named Tragedy. Yeah. Would be interested in doing it. That was my first hip hop piece. Tragedy Gaddafi. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's my first piece. Intelligent Hoodlum. That's the first thing I ever wrote about hip hop. That's beautiful. And this is when we had a fax stuff across the country. Yeah, yeah. There's no scanning any of that. That's and within two years, man, I found myself writing for Thrasher. Shout out to Thrasher yeah, Magazine. Yeah. Man, I wrote for LA Weekly, San Francisco oh, Weekly. Yeah. Man, I found my way over to Rolling Stone. Mm. And I just, what I, what I remember thinking to myself is that I have a responsibility to represent my culture. That's right. You know, and not dissing people who were not for the culture, but I would read stuff. I'm like, they don't understand what it is to be a young man of color. That's they don't right. understand what it is to be a black man. That's you know right. what I mean? Here I am living this thing. And it means something different for us. When we say hip-hop saved my life, yes. you know exactly what that means, right. what right. that means for us. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. and I think Dave Chappelle said it best, this, if you listen to hip-hop over the course of these 50 years, you can find life lessons all over the place. In spite of all the stuff that, that may be negative and destructive, there's advice all over the place. There's something that speaks to you. Yeah. And I mean, listen, man, um, the first cover story I did for Vibe, which was the very first cover story ever, ever it was Annoyed by Nature because that's the year OPP was huge. Yeah. Everybody was focused on OPP. I was focused on the song they had on album called Ghetto Bastard. Bastard. When Tretch said, Never Knew My Dad, yes. Mother, mm, 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 Yes. I started crying. Yeah. Absolutely. I just started crying. For me too. Man, I just started crying. Cassette. I remember. The cassette. Yeah. And I just. Broke down. I never heard anyone speak like that. That's right. I never heard anyone speak like yeah. that. Now, keep in mind, by the time I got to hearing Knowing By Nature, I had absorbed Malcolm X. I had absorbed Bob Marley. I love Steel Pulse. I'm a big reggae fan, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, but here's someone who's my peer. Yeah. You know. From Jersey. From Jersey. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And people didn't understand, man. Like, it, 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 oof. I'm getting chills thinking about it, yeah. man. And so, I felt like I need to explain to people who don't understand, and not just you know, uh, people outside the black and brown community, but older black people who don't understand what hip hop was. You know, there's even a meditation in that. Yeah. The way this, the way everything was sampled, everything was gonna be all right was everything a meditation. Sampling and right. making reference to Bob right, Marley. Bob Marley. <laughs> right. So all of it coming together in that moment. Man. In life. 
man. They reflected. You know who taught me? The yeah. first time I really heard West Coast hip hop. Yeah. Well, obviously, I knew Six in the Morning from Ice T. Yeah. But it was a group of us, young brothers in New Jersey. We were standing outside our cars listening to an album called Straight Out of Compton by NWA. Man, we were in shock. We like, and how'd you how'd you how'd you come come about the album? I want to know how did how how did it reach you? Because black people have had an internet before there was ever That's internet. Right. We had right. social media before the social That's media. Right. We were just you said it. Yeah, you passed relatives, the cassette cousins, so on and so forth. Probably you know, it. and you mentioned jazz earlier. Yeah. Man, you know, jazz started in New Orleans, but jazz spread around the country because yeah. people would take the music place as well. You know, people, think about it. If in the 1980s, people were moving around, people, if, if a brother joined the military, if he was from California, yeah. he inevitably might be in Ohio, somewhere else. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to bring my NWA cassette with me. I'm going to bring my Public Enemy cassette with me. Yeah. I'm going to bring my LL Cool J, my Latifah MC Light with me. Next thing you know, you're sharing this stuff. I don't even know who brought the NWA uh, tape to us wow. in Jersey, but there we were like, yo, this no. is West Coast. And so all of a sudden, we're like, What's, yo, uh, and they're describing the West Coast. And so we also need to understand, like Chuck D said, hip hop is our CNN. That's right. And so it allowed us, like, okay, I might be from the East Coast or the Midwest or the West Coast, but because of hip hop, I'm going to now be connected geographically to other parts of the country. That's right. You feel what I'm saying? Visual imagery. Yeah, man. So, interesting thing in my, in my hip hop studies class, we used to talk about regional hip hop. It's mm. really interesting. Yeah. That the, region, the regions where hip hop flourished, uh, were definitely impacted by the same cultural phenomena that sparked the, the great black thinkers of those areas. That's so right. for example, Brooklyn T was about doing with your hands. Yep. Southern hip hop was always about hustling and grinding and yep. so on and so forth. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois about education. New York hip hop has laced with a yep. lot more yep. lyrical content. Yep. Uh, a West Coast hip hop, very uh, Malcolm and Marcus Garvey had a great West Coast following in Western mm -hmm. Mississippi. And you have a lot of politis politicization in the hip hop. That's right. Uh, so it's very interesting in Chicago, like Fred Hampton, yeah. there is a coalition of all yeah. these ideas. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. So interesting that even to this day that we see that phenomenon. But I want to bring it back to mm -hmm. books for a moment. Yeah. Because you're the author, you're a writer. You talked about your love for books and reading. Was there an author you felt who taught you? <sighs> Well, the first book that yeah. blew my mind was the autobiography of Malcolm X. You just mentioned Malcolm. Yeah. I mean, man, I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> I was so ignorant. Uh, I would call it enthusiastically ignorant. Mm. You know what I mean? And there was an upper class student. He was a brother who was like Ice Cube's character in High Alert. He had the big old afro, <laughs> had an afro pick with a black power fist yeah, on yeah, it, yeah, yeah. and was in college for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a vinyl record that said, Malcolm the 10th message to the grassroots because I thought it was Malcolm the 10th. I was all, you know, I was puffing my chest out all arrogantly. That's the 10th. That's, I know my Roman numerals. He said, nah, Malcolm X, brother. I was like, oh, wow. word, that's an X. Why he calls himself X? What's yeah. the X for? Wow. He said, you need to read all about Malcolm X. Um, I'm going to repeat, I grew up with no father. Right. Reading Malcolm's story, just like, I felt about Malcolm's story the way I felt about the first time I heard the message. I cried when I finished the book. I bawled like he was my own father who had been assassinated in 1965. I cried because I didn't know who he was up until that point. Like, yeah. how could I not know who this person was? Yeah. And the lessons I took from Malcolm, to this day, I wear a watch. Yes. To this day, I carry pins around my pocket. And, and to this day, Malcolm said, never let 15, 20 minutes idle time go by. You know, uh, he talked about punctuality. Yeah. He talked about how reading in his seven years in prison changed mm. his life. Mm. I was like, I will never go again. Like, in my bag are three or four books. I travel with reading material everywhere I go. Yeah. Man, 
He gave us a blueprint. There's no coincidence that people like myself, Barack yes. Obama, so many people, black males have said Malcolm, Malcolm without our biography. Yeah. I am, um, <clears throat> for Malcolm, man, Baldwin, James yeah. Baldwin, if wow. people read nothing else, The Fire Next Time is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. You feel, reading Baldwin is like listening to a great album. Yeah. You're going to get something new every time. Every single time. So I make it a point religiously. There's certain things I return to. Even as I read new stuff, I go back to Malcolm's autobiography every four or five years. I got to read Baldwin every four or five years. You know, um, Langston, man, his poetry. Like I said, you know, uh, Harlem, what happens to a dream deferred. Yeah. Can I take a sip of water real quick? Yeah. Yep, you're editing it, sorry. Oh. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, you know, reading Lance's poetry, um, man, I discovered Mary Baraka. Uh, oh, wow. Okay, who's from Jersey? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I discovered, um, it was a lot of stuff, man. I just, you know, I focused heavily initially on Richard Wright. How can I forget Richard Wright? Yeah. I focused heavily on black male writers. And because I was, uh, and I was even, I'm African-American, yeah. but at Rutgers, we had a large West Indian community. Yeah. And so I joined the West Indian Student Organization. Uh, I hung out with the African students. And yeah. so the next thing I know, I'm reading all the great writers from the Caribbean. Yeah. I'm reading all the great African writers. I just read everything I could my hands on because I was like, I need to know who I am yeah. globally. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what does it mean to be from Guyana and have people from Guyana? Who is Walter Roddy? You know? Yeah. Who's Sarah Eric Wins from Trinidad Tobago? You know what I mean? Yeah. Who are the Maroons in Jamaica? What's the Haitian I, Revolution? I, you know, what were those independence movements that were happening with Kwame Krumah in places like Ghana? You know what I mean? And so I just. Um, the power of diaspora comes Yeah. Together. I had to. It's just what I said to your, your parents here, you know. I had, to, I had to learn who I was. Yeah. Because I had been denied. You talk about education. I think it's educational malpractice if young people do not see themselves in their education ever. You know? Wow. It's educational malpractice if you don't see yourself. It's not you just were experiencing the drought and now you're quenching the thirst. And I made a conscious decision. I have to, yep, I'm a writer, I'm an activist, yeah. a philanthropist, as you said, but I'm also an educator because I'm going to use my pen to teach people. Yeah. Forget any terms that people are dissing in these times. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Let's just talk about the truth. Let's tell the whole truth. Let's yeah. tell the whole truth. Because actually, it means something. And, and and I just, that's the shift for me. And by the time I got to the 90s, I started reading women writers, you know, mm-hmm. including black women writers. That transformed me because I was like, wait a minute, y'all are not helping me to understand my mother and mm-hmm. my aunties, my grandmother, you know, or just women in general, no matter what their backgrounds are. It's like, you know what? Yeah, Kev, you're fighting racism, but you can't afford to be a sexist That's right. pig. Like, That's you, right. you know, there's a reason why these stories exist. And maybe start to think about, okay, what about our gay writers? You know, these, these, you know, Baldwin's a gay black man. You know what That's I'm right. saying? Audre Lorde was a lesbian black woman. Yeah. You know, these voices matter. And so I found myself, you know, saying, okay, you know, what you don't want to do with your own education or as you educate other people is exclude folks the way you were excluded from your own education. Mm. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. I've had um, guests come on and also talk about the teachers who uh, they wanted to prove wrong. <laughs> uh, I have one. A principal, actually. You don't need to shout out their name. He's dead. Okay. I won't say the name anyway. Just out of respect to people. Yeah. Uh, but could you, could you explain why? Yeah. When I was a boy, yeah. I, I was bad. Yeah. <laughs> my mama, I'm using my mother's southern dialect. Yeah. I was bad. Yes. And uh, in the fourth grade, yeah. principal, a white brother, mm. you know, um, 
unfortunately, being a lot of people, again, being the first generation of kids to go to, I went to, I went to an integrated school, except for a couple of years, most of my schools were majority white. You know, right. Some of the first wave of black kids, brown wow, kids, wow, wow, who wow. got to go to these schools. And it's a cultural difference. Absolutely. And a lot of the educators didn't understand why the black boys behave the way they do. Absolutely. And what I saw happening in my own, front of my own eyes is still happening to this day. By the time black boys get to the third or fourth grade, mm-hmm. we're trying to push them into special education. Yeah, yeah. There's something wrong with them. Well, what kid do you know is actually going to sit there with their hands folded and just be quiet the whole time? You know what I mean? Yeah. Even when I was talking to your kids here, these are these are mostly white kids. And I yeah. love all kids. I don't care what their background is. I, oh, I love all people. I'm like, I'm not naive enough to think that any young person is just going to sit there and be quiet the whole time. Exactly. It's not even the nature of being a young person to just be like, mm. you know what I mean? Right. You're going to fidget. You're going to say something. You're going to yeah. look around. You're going to tell jokes. Yeah. You're going to look at your phone. You're going to do something. Man, I got into a lot of trouble because I wouldn't sit still. And mm. I made my way to the principal's office a couple of times. Right. And remember I said earlier, the only time I ever got I missed school was K-12 is when I got suspended. Someone was for fighting. And some of it was for challenging the authority figures at my schools, including wow. principals. I'd be like, nope. How old were you? <laughs> 10, 11 years old. 10, 11. <laughs> because okay. I got it from my mama. My mama don't play. Yeah. My mama speaks her mind. Of course, I didn't realize, Kev, if you do that in school, you're going to probably get suspended. Right, You right. know, because you're not dealing with folks who are like the folks, honestly, yeah. that I've met like you, who yeah. are like, you know, there's a deep love for young people. And I understand that young people express themselves in different ways. This principle, upon... One of my mother's visits to the school, I just said to my mother, she didn't tell me this mm. until I was probably on, I got 16 books, I said, right? Yeah. I probably was on book 12 or 13. My mother never told me wow. that he said, your child is basically trash. Wow. He's no good. And he's going to end up on the streets with the rest of them. And he did his head like that. He's going to end up on the streets like the rest of them. My mother, I mean, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. If my mother, with her eighth grade education, didn't fight that principal and that school system, I would have been. I was an A student. They were about to send me to special education. My God, that's a pipeline to prison. Yes. that's a pipeline to a whole bunch of stuff. Yes, and wow. my mother fought, and luckily there was a black man, a male of color, black male of color, who was a, a sister superintendent of schools at the time. Yeah, yeah. Here's the here's the, here's his work is deep, Cal. His name was Mr. Franklin, Dr. Franklin Williams. He helped me to stay at school. Years later, his wife, Mrs. Williams, was my English teacher, told me Stop. I was going to be a writer. Stop it. She told, he told my mother, I remember being with him at his office, he mm. told my mother, I'll take care of it. He's, he's going to stay in the school. I'll take care of it. Mm. Which is why we need representation of all kinds of different places because someone like you may understand a student differently than yeah. other people. It's not just about black and wow. white, you know, yeah. or black, black, wow. or any of that. It's just like, do you have the human capacity to understand that all our children are important and the worst thing you can do is just throw away our children? I would probably not be sitting here or here with your students if my mother had allowed this man to serve me in special education. Wow. Think about that for a second. And as fate would have it, his wife ended up being my 12th grade English teacher. See what I'm saying? That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you a magic wand. Huh. You're going to get to wave it <clears throat> and magically... Five teachers in your life, however you want to define that, get to appear for dinner with you. Five of your life's teachers. <laughs> Bring them back to life. If, they're, if they've gone, you can uh, transport them here. Who are those five people? Dr. Bell, looks like she rests in peace. She was mm-hmm. my mentor. Just, you know, I, I was with her when she was dying in Kentucky over mm-hmm. a year ago. Uh, definitely Bell Hooks. V, a.k.a. Evangelist, who created the Vagina Monologue. She's mm-hmm. one of my dear friends, sister mm-hmm. friends. Mentors, um, Mrs. Williams, yes. definitely. 
Uh, my mother definitely, then my mother would probably act a fool because she'd be bugging out. Yeah. But I love her. Yeah. You know, um, five. Malcolm X. Wow. Man, I wish I could sit with Malcolm X. Yeah. And just thank him mm. for changing my life. Powerful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, you're a special guest, so, you know, that's not the only five questions I'm going to ask you. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm going to have to ask you a, a, a top five. I'm going to flip it a little bit because in hip-hop circles, this is a conversation that always goes around. I'm going to flip it because I'm going to ask you about who do you feel, in your estimation, yes, sir. are the top five hip-hop educators in terms of the MC? In terms of the MC? In terms, in terms, of, in terms of knowledge that they have passed on through the craft of hip-hop. Wow. Yeah. That's a great... I've never heard that question before. Yeah. Wow, that's a great question. Yeah. Do they have to be a rapper? No, they don't actually. Okay. Yeah, you can, wow. you can have fun with it. Wow. Woo! You know, I know there's going to be some editing. We're going to do some editing here because you're going to come out with some names. And... Well, yeah. I mean, you know what the college was? Sister Soldier. She was at Rutgers. Wow. But she was Lisa Williamson. Wow. And I know she's been controversial for some people, just like I've been controversial for some people. Sure. But she was like my big sister. You asked me, I forgot to say this, when I went to Rutgers, she was uh, two years ahead of me. Okay. I literally walked into the anti-apartheid movement, and she was wow. one of the student leaders. Wow. And uh, she was always reading books, and she was part of the wave of folks who was like, you got to read, you got to read, you got to yeah. read. You know, had a huge impact on me, you know what I mean, um, in terms of education. And she's one of the first people who really kind of coined the term hip-hop activism, you know yeah. what I mean? And so you got to understand, like, Ras Baraka is the current mayor of York, New Jersey, but mm -hmm. people like me, who's a married son, Baraka's son, we were all young people, man, in the, back in the late 80s, early 90s, and we were doing hip-hop education forums, right. you know, way back then, before yeah. it became part of pedagogy. But I see, like, UCLA has their thing now. My Part of my archives are at Cornell University, which yeah. has, a, Harvard has a hip-hop archives. Yeah. The Smithsonian has a hip-hop archives. Right. You know, you've taught, you know, yeah. I mean, hip-hop, I mean, Soldier, um, Chuck was one of my teachers. Chuck T was one of my teachers. I mean, Chuck always says, man, Kev, you, you know, you, 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 I taught you so you could be a leader. I, I'm not a leader. I was just a voice to it. I'm like, Chuck, you understand, man. I didn't know who John Coltrane was Tell us in the yeah. fuck enemy. You know what yeah. I mean? I never thought about Elvis or John Wayne the way I did. It's hard to fight the battle. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, him, um, man. Mm -hmm. educators Whew. you know what's interesting about that question I'm going to bring it back to Bell Hooks yeah. Bell was a gangster rapper yeah. you know why <laughs> and I have a book coming out very shortly called The Kevin Powell Reader it's my collective writings 30 plus years of my writing in fact the first piece in the book is the essay that I wrote that got me Mr. Lewis oh, over the right wow. so it goes all the way back and I did an interview with yeah. Vibe Mag. I'll, I'll give you a copy. Yeah, I'll give you a copy. Yeah. Bell Hooks, um, I did an interview with Bell Hooks at Vibe. Yeah. She knew so much about hip-hop. Wow. Mind-blowing. I mean, she had a whole critique or uh, uh, analysis of Ice Cube, yeah. of Tupac. I was like, damn, Bell, word. She had a whole breakdown of what gangster rap really phenomenal. was. That's phenomenal. Because Bell, uh, honestly, in terms of people, I, I feel like Malcolm X was like this. Bell made his point to pay attention to what was happening all around her. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, the beautiful thing about hip hop, our culture, yeah. 
People need to understand who don't understand hip hop. It was founded, it created August 11, 1973. It's 50 years old. That means that we got people who are over 60 yeah. who are hip hop heads. Right. We got people in their 40s and 50s yes. who are hip hop heads. Right. You got people in their 20s and 30s who are hip hop heads. Yeah. Then you got people who are preteens and teenagers yeah. who are hip hop heads. So you're talking about four or five generations of people who are hip hop heads. That's you right. feel what I'm saying? And Belle understood that and she was like, yo, this is folk art. Hip hop yes. is folk art. Yes. Like I've been saying, hip hop is a response to the failures of the civil rights movement. The same poor people that Dr. King told us not to, re to respond to, re to uh, forget, we forgot, right. and they created hip hop. Wow. You know what I mean? And she was able to break that stuff down. But she also helped me to understand, you know, since hip hop is so male dominated, she's like, Kev, a lot of this is performance art for black males mm -hmm. and black, black and brown males. It's like we're trying to figure out who we are. And so this persona, I mean, I was one of those cats in the 90s, but man, I can't judge cats sagging in the past for now because we were the generation that started it. That's right. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it, there's so much stuff yeah. in that. So Belle definitely, um, in wow. terms of hip-hop, pedagogy, education, you know, because she helped me to think about That's it a different way. One. Yeah, Soldier, Belle. Um, I thought you were doing Chuck D in the Chuck D, definitely. I thought you felt like you threw that name out there and you kept moving. So Chuck, I don't know if that was a Chuck, No, Chuck. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I, Chuck, man... It was just a voice of authority that he had. I mean, yeah. you, Elvis was a hero to most. Yeah. And you're like, I remember I was in the... I got a letter. From the government the <laughs> other day. day. Oh, man. I read it. Because oh. it was bold. Yes. And Chuck, Chuck was just fearless, man. He was fearless, man. I just, I, I just, I was like, wow. You know, um, educators? Wow. That's a great, great question in terms of hip-hop folks. Huh. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, two more. Well, you know what? Actually, I want to shout out. Since we're in an indigenous country, I want to shout out an indigenous brother who was also part Italian named Ernie Panicoli. Okay. Ernie Panicoli is considered the godfather of hip hop photography. Wow. When I, I actually curated, you may know this, the very first exhibit on the history of hip hop in this oh, country, that's right. that's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's right. That's right. And then we brought it to Brooklyn and yeah. at the Brooklyn Museum, and a half a million people showed up at the exhibit. Mm. As I was curating it, we kept saying, man, we need a photo of a young Eminem. He had that. Man, we need a photo of Run DMC. He had that. Pop, Biggie, Ice Cube, Snoop, Dre, whoever. And nobody, we're wow. like, who is this dude? Wow. They called him Brother Ernie. He, he Ernie Panicoli um, served in Vietnam. Wow. You know, and when he came home, it was 1971, spring yeah. 71. Yeah. And he didn't know what to do. And he had a girlfriend at the time said, well, you know, you should sit here and listen to some music. And here's an album you should listen to. It was Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Yeah. Boom. And she gave, she did two things for him. She said, listen to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. And here's a camera. You should use this camera. He started shooting. Ernie actually took some of the, those images talking about the graffiti in the trains. Yeah. He's one of the early graffiti photographers. Wow. Wow. Ernie Panicoli. He also took pictures of people like Frank Sinatra, folks like that. But he literally saw the whole thing. And so as I was talking with him and getting images from him for the exhibit, I said, how many images do you have? He said, man, a couple hundred thousand. I said, you got a, hundred, a couple hundred thousand hip-hop photos. He said, yeah. I said, are you going to do a book? He said, man, brother, he's born in 1947, so he's mad old school. He's like, man, you know, all these people talk about I'm going to do a book, I'm going to do it. They, they disappear. I said, Ernie, I'm going to help you do a book. Cal, I spent a year of my life in the early 2000s going through a couple hundred thousand photos of Ernie Panicoli, and we created a book called Who Shot You? Three Decades of Hip-Hop Photography. That's phenomenal. And... He became my educator because yeah. think about it. If he's born in 1947, he also saw the birth of rock and roll. He saw jazz. He saw, man, yes. this dude saw Bob Dylan perform. He saw Jimi Hendrix perform, but he also saw Rock Kim perform. He saw Ice Cube perform. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
And so in terms of hip hop education, that's phenomenal. Man, he just he broke it down to me, man. Right. And so he and he, you know, I respect the culture because people are earning. Like mm-hmm. I represent the culture of hip hop. I respect the pioneers. And that's just you know, yes and then starting New York, but also understand that California, California, yeah. California, man, you go back and watch shit, watch Soul Train in the nineteen seventies, they was popping and locking. That's right. You feel what I'm saying? Right. So there was a parallel energy happening there. You can't talk about you know, early hip hop without talking about the West Coast because even my wife pointed out to me who's a native Californian, it's like yeah. them low riders, Chicano culture. That's right. You see what I'm saying? Right. But that gets that gets lost. And so yes, we can argue, definitely can say hip hop is a black cultural music form, just like jazz and blues and stuff like that. But don't ignore the contributions of Chicano folks in the West right, Coast. Right. And Puerto Ricans and other Latinx folks in New York City yeah. coming together. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, when you look at how Snoop and Dre mm-hmm. were dressing in like Ain't Nothing But a G video, I mean, where did that clothing come exactly. from? Yeah. 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 Was that just black you folks? Know, exactly. Yeah. That's hip hop pedagogy. Yeah. That's hip hop education. Right. And what Ernie helped me to understand, probably more than all the other folks I've named, because I spent so much time with him, is that you gotta help people to connect the dots where it came from. That's right. That it's a real culture. Right. It ain't going nowhere. And it's 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 the voice of people who don't feel like they've had voices. Wow, you know what I mean. Last person got four. Oh, brother Ernie, Chuck D, Bell Hooks, Sister, Sister Soldier. Wow, fifth person, hip hop educators. Hip hop educator. <laughs> Darn man, that's hard. Yeah. Um, give me a second. Hip hop educators. Yeah. Wow. 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 A lot of names out there. There's a lot of names out there. I'm thinking of people that I've listened to speak, mime. Right. Wow. I mean... mm. From the production side. Production side, too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. A lot of people. Wow. So you're going to feel, as soon as you say this name, you're going to feel like you left (laughs) 50 people out. (laughs) Man, you know, it's... (sighs) But the nature of the question is to generate discussion. Yeah. Right? People listening to it are going to be like, well, you know, how about this? And that's what we want. So you can leave the name a variable and let people decide. Mm. I mean, who belongs on this list? For me personally, that really, wow, 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 wow. I mean, you know what? Wow, wow. You know what? I'm going to say Ice Tea. And that's because we're on the West Coast, but I'm going to tell yeah. you something. I have not been to this area where we are right now since mm-hmm. the early 90s. I came out here to do an interview with Ice-T. It was in the middle of the whole body count thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Controversy around Cop Killer, his rock band. Yeah. And I spent several days trailing Ice-T all around Southern California. And he had to perform in Santa Barbara, at UC Santa Barbara, yeah. uh, Halloween weekend. And I never wrote the article because... I just didn't. I don't want to get into it on camera. I'll tell you off the record. But, yeah. but I have five cassettes full of conversations with Ice-T. Yeah. Ice-T was one of the folks who first made me understand the California history of hip-hop. Yeah. Ice-T was born on the East Coast just like Will Smith's character on The Fresh Prince. And he got shipped to the West Coast. West Coast. A lot of people don't realize yeah. that. And in fact, he said, man, yeah, I'm just like that dude. And Ice-T was a dancer first. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's right. And he was the one who told me about how, because he had military time, how we were passing cassettes around. That's how the culture started spreading. And so he was just, he was very responsible for a lot of my early, early, early understanding 
of the connection of, of the West Coast to the early stages of hip hop. Wow. I gotta give Ice-T props for that. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Kevin, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you. Uh, as we say, as we come to the end of this podcast, uh, thanking you for your time, your wisdom, your Thank spirit, you so your energy. I don't get to talk uh, about this stuff enough. Yeah, man, infusing, you know, making this podcast a class wow. for people. Thank you. And uh, as we say, as we end, class dismissed. Appreciate you all. Thank you. The whole student podcast has been brought to you by Duncast, produced by JD Scroggin, the director of marketing and communication at the Dunn School, and co-produced by Brandon Scott of Comfort Food. Thank you for joining us.